Hi all, hello, and welcome to the Immersive Media Podcast. This is your introduction to immersive technologies in media that are being used in different industries around the world for many different reasons. The aim of this podcast is to introduce you to some of the professionals, practitioners, and researchers working in this field, and to help give you an insight into the industry and their own experience. We have picked guests who represent some of the key topics we are covering in the module, but also those that are doing some exciting or unique work. This is by no means the only podcast you can listen to if you want to explore these topics in more detail, but it is your whistle-stop tour of this exciting subject from the perspective of those who actively work within it. So let's get into it. Virtual reality, or VR, is growing in its potential applications and reach. With issues around accessibility and technological limitations beginning to be resolved as the technology quickly develops. One sector in which VR has shown real potential and where people have really engaged with the technology is education. One individual who has been actively pushing the use of VR in his own work, but also in the educational community at large, is Daniel Dubosky Bryant. On the 29th of January 2021, I had the opportunity to speak to Daniel about his experience the work he is doing, and what excites him the most about immersive media. Daniel, thank you for taking the time to have a chat and talk about your experience and insight into the use of immersive media and technology in education. My pleasure, James. Thanks for having me on your podcast. So just to start, can you say a little about your background and what got you into working within the realm of immersive? Okay. Um, Very briefly, my background is... um, I've been in education, adult education for the last 15 to 20 years, teaching mostly English as a foreign language and teacher training. My parents were educators, teachers, language teachers before me. I grew up in Europe, um, consider myself a proud European. And um, my journey with immersive technologies and in particular virtual reality started about almost three years ago. I was looking for way to engage my son like a father and son kind of project and like i was scrolling i think through facebook marketplace and i saw a vr headset for sale for 20 pounds and i didn't know what to um i didn't know a thing about it and i thought 20 pounds can't really lose so picked this thing up and um it didn't have a process or anything it was just like a chunk of plastic and the guy explained you put your mobile phone in it I was like, okay, well, try that out. Took it home, um, downloaded an app, put it on my head. Well, put it on Ziggy's head. And he was he was kind of impressed, but okay, went, went back to doing his thing. I thought, I'll give this a try. And I, I loaded um, a virtual tour of the International Space Station. And in that moment, something happened that changed the course of my career. Um, I was completely blown away at the fact that my mobile phone was capable of doing this and i had missed that i consider myself fairly well informed in terms of technology but i had missed the fact that vr that mobile phones was doing virtual reality like that and secondly that my mobile phone convinced my mind that i was actually on the uh, the international space station and being an educator and a bit of an entrepreneurial background i thought i want to take this to college and that snowballed into exploring all aspects of vr for education um, I then discovered that there is something called social VR or multi-user VR, where people meet inside VR and collaborate. 
So I put on an event, you know, Daniel's English Conversation Club <laughs> was my first one. I just thought, well, let's see if anybody turns up. And then I joined Facebook groups to see who else is doing this stuff. And there were a couple of groups, but they were all on Facebook. And I was like, well, we have social VR. Why not start something inside social VR um, as opposed to leave it on Facebook? So I started an event called Educators in VR. And I promoted it on Facebook and it, we had a full house, like the, the, the event space maxed out and um, super encouraged, met uh, Laurel, my co-founder there. We teamed up, we did one event a month, then one every two weeks, then once a week. Now we're doing three, four, five events a week. Uh, we also started up something called Students in VR, which is specifically for encouraging students to meet and engage and collaborate. So I'll, I'll leave it there for now. That's how I got into it. But it kind of snowballed and accelerated from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I engaged with, uh, well, yeah, the, the mobile-based VR ecosystem and like kind of put my mobile device in a Google Cardboard and spun up a couple of 360 videos. And I was amazed at the fact that this didn't have more traction, that there wasn't yeah. more interest in it. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, I mean, that has changed. And uh, hopefully you can allude to that a little bit more as we continue on with our conversation. Sure. Um, but yeah, like I had a very similar experience. I, I put it on and I was just like, wow. Like yeah. As a media creator, someone who's worked with media for quite some time, I was just like, this is, this is not the next step, but this is something that can really benefit storytelling and yeah. education and various other sectors. Absolutely. Um, so... We originally met about three years ago uh, when you came to Cardiff to do a short talk on how you've been using VR and in particular the benefits you have found. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about that? How did it start out? What was the incentive that drove you to experiment with immersive content? Mm -hmm. What was the development process like and what did it entail and what <laughs> now? Right. So since we first met, um, at the time, if I'm not mistaken, I uh, it was it was at a very interesting time because we just talked about Google Cardboard. So when I when I first put on a headset, the the, the hardware was either you had a powerful gaming PC and what's called PC VR headset, which was cost prohibitive to most people, or you had a mobile phone and some chunk of plastic or even a piece of cardboard. That was kind of where it was at. Within months of that moment, um, a device came out called the Oculus Go, which is called a standalone device, um, which means that it has a mobile phone processor inbuilt, but you don't have to plug it into a powerful computer. And that was a bit of a turning point. Um, quite quickly on the heels of that came um, the next layer of devices. Um, the holy grail at the moment is something called six degrees of freedom, where your head can rotate um, in every degree, but you can also walk within a room and the device knows where you're walking and the controllers. Um, so I joined just before all that happened. So um, when I came to talk to you, I was basing my understanding of either PC VR or mobile phone VR without, without knowing that this other technology was right around the corner. Um, 
the reason I thought this would be interesting in virtual reality is I haven't invented anything here. I discovered that actually there was quite a lot of people doing quite a lot of work going right back for several decades, but it was a, an interesting moment. I just found it so accessible. So the devices were at a price point that weren't completely cost prohibitive. You mentioned 360 pictures and 360 videos. YouTube has a 360 VR channel dedicated with millions of videos already freely available. Some of them very, very rudimentary and some of them like high-end National Geographic Discovery Channel level BBC productions. And so the amount of content readily available, because I'm not a developer, I'm a user, I'm, a, I'm an experimenter, like, well, you know, I'm not a coder, I'm not a developer, I'm, here's a device, here's some content, what's freely available and what can we do with that? And I realized there's a lot you can do with it without being a coder, without being even technically inclined. If you can manage a mobile phone or a laptop, you can manage any VR device, no, or most VR devices, no questions asked. So I found it incredibly accessible. And I think I was fortunate that I have a very open-minded manager at work. And she said, go for it, we'll support it, let's pitch for some funding. And then I found myself online on these various communities, um, kind of sowing seeds and watching things grow. And I realized there's a whole community here, let's bring them together. And I just had no idea how that would snowball. So it kind of drifted from classroom VR to the VR education community around the globe. We have 3,000 members from every corner of the earth. Um, and that shift was just, it was heartwarming to watch how, how many people gathered around this initiative and started contributing and building something far beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah, I mean, and you kind of alluded to there with educators in VR. And I think the initiative there and the community you've built is fantastic. Um, I'm you. a proud member of that community and I like cool. dipping in and seeing what people are saying. I've tried yeah. to join events uh, in the past um, yeah. and I've been to the conference as well. And I think it's fantastic. I mean, can you say a little bit more about that? Because I think that in itself, that building of a community to help people understand how these technologies can be used, I think is a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So Educators in VR, it's been on a bit of a journey. We set out to bring people together, help them share, collaborate, and explore together on Discord. And for those of you who don't know Discord, it's, it's a, a social media platform or a social platform, very popular with gamers and coders and developers. Um, and because of the nature of VR, many of our users aren't on Facebook. So we have a Facebook um, group as well. Welcome to join there. But Discord is really useful because you can compile resources there in a way that you can't do on a Facebook group. Facebook group is more about a chat, but in, in Discord, you can kind of categorize resources there as well. And um, yeah, we just followed the demand with educators in VR. We started once a month. We we attracted more and more keen members who were looking for an outlet, for, for a way to get involved and contribute. And very quickly, we teamed up with a guy called Michael McDonald from, he's a Brit living in Italy who teaches languages. 
and he runs a company called Gold Lotus. And so he wanted to really develop the English language teaching aspect in virtual reality. And I suggested, listen, why don't you lead that conversation on the Discord? Why don't you, we will support you in that effort. We will support your events under the umbrella of Educators of the Arts. So we trialed this model where he kind of became a team leader for V languages, it's called. And I think within six months, we had 10 other team projects. We have diversity, we have um, education, we are research team, um, anti-bullying team. If you look on the Discord, there's like a raft of, um, and they keep growing. We find a keen individual, we support them to develop a conversation and, a, and, a, and, and invite guests. Uh, and it's just grown like that. It's remarkable. Um, the other thing we did off the back of the, the 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 momentum of support. We wanted to celebrate our community, and I think it was a one year one year anniversary, which we had to push back. But February 2020, we set out to um, kind of we called it the 2020 Educators in VR International Summit. That was the name we gave it. And um, naive as we were, we decided we're going to go six days, 24 hours a day across five platforms. And we put out a call to speakers. Anybody interested from the community, submit your proposal to speak at our conference here. We had 170 submissions. We had 180 submissions. And we only, we only didn't take on 10 because they were just not relevant. So we had 170 speakers um, with with panels, and we had speakers from HTC, from Microsoft, from um, uh, from huge like big companies. We were just gobsmacked at the, the 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 breadth and depth of people coming to join. And so we launched into the six day event. I'll never forget it. Um, and we it was remarkable. It was a moment in time that just a, a small aside um the grandfather of or tom furness professor tom furness is well known as or otherwise known as the the grandfather of virtual reality he organizes um he, he runs an organization called the virtual world society and we invited him to come and speak and um he spoke on the fifth or sixth day and there was such an atmosphere in this virtual space and afterwards, he likened it. I was there. He, he said, I was there for, um, what was that famous festival in the 70s? Um, Woodstock. He said he was there for Woodstock. And he likened the happening at the summit to this, the virtual Woodstock. He said, this is a moment. And um, anyway, we thought we'd have a week to, to rest after that. But instead, as we were doing the summit, the coronavirus news was accelerating and within i think a week of us finishing the summit htc had called us up microsoft had called us up to say listen how did you do that because we're shutting our conference down this year and we need to do it virtually can you help us and then within weeks it had just transpired that this summit had hit a hit a nerve or hit like captured a moment right before this global development we couldn't have foreseen that um but we we just we never looked back. I, I think we were there at a, a particular moment. The 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 goodwill from the community that gathered around it 
just exploded. And it, I think without without an inch of pride, I think it helped contribute to a growing realization that this is viable. I mean, if you look at how many conferences have gone virtual now um, based on that model and how much of education now because of lockdown is having to happen virtually, the interest in immersive VR, I don't mean Zoom calls or Google calls or Hangout, you know, that's also sometimes called virtual, which is okay. But I mean, immersive, fully VR, there's a huge growing demand and interest in that. So to have been a small part in helping to accelerate that, considering three years ago, I'd never had a headset on. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, and I think like the summit was a standout example of the possibilities of using these technologies in an efficient and effective manner to engage with people like a global community. It wasn't, um, I've been to other conferences and other summits where because of the timeframes that the speakers are actually on, of course, it's difficult to actually engage with it. You're watching like recordings of it. But when I joined the summit, um, I, there were still activities going on because it was 24 hours. It was there was people still there to talk to. And there were some very big names there as well. I mean, uh, Kent Bai is someone right. I've been following for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, I know you did a podcast with him as well. Um, and I spoke to him at the summit. And that was an opportunity that I never thought actually possible. A man right. that I had actually listened to for quite some time and had taken a lot of knowledge from was there and I had a little chat with him. Right. Um, but also like kind of listen to his talk and things like that. Like there are things that potentially I wouldn't have had the, uh, uh, the ability to do yeah. uh, outside of this platform. And of course, as you say, because of coronavirus, of course, this is escalated. This is scaled yeah. up significantly with a lot mm. of other conferences and summits and uh, organizers looking at how to develop mm. a virtual uh, environment and a virtual event yeah. uh, outside the standard realms of a Zoom call, which right. I think a lot of people are getting a little bit... Um, Zoom fatigue. Yeah, Zoom <laughs> fatigue. Yeah, Zoom fatigue. Yeah. Yeah, we learned we learned quite a bit about how to do conferences and how not to do conferences. It's interesting you say that you bumped into uh, Ken Bai and were able to have a conversation because actually the way we had designed that summit, we've since adapted. But we just went twenty four seven back to back events, and we realized quite quickly actually you need breathing spaces, you need those social spaces with no program where you can have the conversation because. At a, at a regular conference, some of the best moments are in between the actual program, right? In the lobby somewhere, at the bar, at the cafe, wherever. Um, so we, we've we since designed for that. Um, and, and other under people in the industry have, have recognized that as well. You need spaces. What would you say is the standout learning that you've taken from your whole experience kind of working both applying these technologies and VR in particular, but also kind of working in the larger community? <laughs> okay. Um, I've learned that I love, I love this work and that there's a lot of talk about the killer app. I'm not sure killer is the right word, but you, you, you get the reference. For me, my killer app is social collaborative VR. So there are some great single user apps, absolutely fantastic, wonderful single user apps. 
But for me, it's a bit of a benchmark. You know, if I'm looking at an app, first question is, is it multi-user? As an educator, if I, if I can share this experience with either one other student or ideally several other students and ideally remotely, that immediately amplifies its value to me. If, if, if it can only be used locally by one person, it has to be very good at what it does. That's fine. But for me, where it's at is remote collaborative experiences. And that can be teaching, that can be events and workshops, that can be community meetups. But for me, that is the magic source of VR, I would say. And that comes from spending hours, days, weeks, months in these events and communities, partly designing them, partly joining them, partly running workshops and making mistakes and and so on. The <laughs> I live in very rural North Wales up here. We're surrounded by fields and sheep, and I can not see people if I so choose, which might make you feel lonely and isolated. I don't feel that ever, not a single day, because I jump into my headset and I plug into, I can give people hugs and high fives and we can go for walks with people and explore stuff and interact and share and co-create. And that's remarkable to me. Isolation, I don't, that's not something I will ever fear with this technology around. So I think for me, that's a huge, a huge takeaway probably the biggest takeaway, finding community, finding family, tribe, community in VR. And, and I have to fully agree with you on that. I think it's something that's been overlooked in the past, um, but because of what's been going on currently, uh, there's a lot more interest in it and the engagement is increasing. And I think that's a positive. That is truly a positive because once people realize that they can interact with others inside these these platforms using this technology, that's where I think the real positives are. Not There are positives with other use cases, but once you realize, once the, the larger community and the larger kind of audience base um, realizes that there is a social aspect to this, that's where it really, really starts kicking off. I agree. I agree. I think if you look at how many people um, play online multiplayer games, that's a huge industry people from all over the world connecting around a particular game, which is fine. The game is good. People congregate around it. But I bet you a lot of the people don't only go for the game. They go for the connecting with, with other people around a central purpose. And all we're doing is we're not, the central purpose isn't like around the game. It happens to be around education or also XR for good, right? Um, in, in more broadly. Um, and doing that immersively as opposed to via an Xbox or a PC multiplayer games, doing that immersively is just so much more powerful. I mean, one final question, really. Um, so do you have any top tips or advice for those who are just coming into this space? Any skills, knowledge, experiences to try or even how to get started on their own projects, maybe? Um yeah, I go, uh, this is actually a point that links into what I said before about um, my my takeaway from VR is the social side of things. And I think that's partly because I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder, I'm not even particularly 
creative in terms of world building. I've messed a little bit around with world design and world building and so on. Um, there is space. So the tip, my tip would be: don't think that virtual, don't think of virtual reality as a as a technology. The beauty of virtual reality, in some ways, is that when you put the headset on, the the, the technology itself disappears, and it's the experience, right? So with a computer, I can see the keyboard, I can see the mouse, I can see the screen. With a VR headset, I don't see the headset, right? I I I'm in the experience, and so. Um, there's there's plenty to do without being technically minded. There's plenty to experience, plenty to contribute to communities, plenty to explore, plenty to create with like um, drag and drop creation as opposed to coding creation. You can come at this from a coding, from a developer point of view, and these skills are going to go a long way in the industry. I think one of the most in-demand jobs in, in, in technology right now is in the spatial 3D, VR, AR, Unity. If you have any of those skills, you have a job lined up for you, believe me. So there, there's that side of it. There's a career professional approach to it. But in terms of creativity you can come at it from a creativity point of view without needing the coding skills the the developments and tools are sophisticated already you can just come at it from the point of a user um can be gaming can be social or community based so there is space for everybody in there and don't don't be put off by the background of it being gaming it happens to be very cool for gaming i'll give you that but I don't, I don't game ever in VR. There's too much other stuff for me that I'm interested in. Um, be open-minded. Go explore. Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Yeah, just, just explore and play. It's, it's, um, I believe there's something for everybody in there, no matter what your background or interest is. Uh, and, and and join groups, join join like-minded groups, either in VR or on social media. No, that, that's thank, that's fantastic. I think like those those kind of things are what a lot of people um, don't really realize when they first start experimenting with immersive experiences and immersive mm. content is the fact that you don't need a background in programming. Exactly. Um, I, I know how to code. I'm not the best coder mm. in the world, admittedly. I, I wouldn't say I was a professional programmer, mm. um, but most of the stuff I've built knowledge-wise and skills-wise is by experimenting and, and talking to others as well yeah. within a community, like-minded right. people. Um, but yeah, I think you're very much kind of right. It's like experimentation is key and you don't have to feel put off by the fact that you don't feel technically right. minded maybe because there are tools available for you to work with this Absolutely. content without needing those, that knowledge Absolutely. and skill set. The, the, one of the beauties of VR for me is that mostly I put the headset on and I still get that feeling. You remember being a little kid and just being in awe of something, whatever it was at the time, it could be a toy or an experience or something just like, wow, absorbing it. And I, I still get that in VR a lot. Just this sense of wonder and of awe. And I don't code, but there are so many experiences to be had, shared or individual. So come at it open-minded and just absorb, explore, you know, listen, watch. Um, you'll find your place in there. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Daniel. It's My been pleasure. fantastic talking to you again. It's yeah, been far yeah. too long. Yeah. Um, we're, we'll have to catch up again at some point soon. Absolutely. Let's do this again next year, see where we're at. <laughs> I think Daniel is a true innovator, and it is always a pleasure to speak with him. It shows that even without a background as a developer or expert technical knowledge, you can achieve fantastic things with immersive media, and that if you have an idea that you are passionate about, don't give up on it. I recommend checking out the Educators in VR website for some great resources and follow them on Discord. There are always interesting conversations going on in the community he helped build.